Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So glad to be back with you after taking a few days off for Thanksgiving and spending a little time out in the woods chasing whitetails. Jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Texas citrus industry is still recovering from that big winter freeze we had back in February. We'll take a look at that story to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Great speakers and a great lunch. Now that's a great deal for those attending the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show this week. I'm James Hunt, and I'll tell you more about it on Texas Ag Today. The continuing high demand for U.S. corn, both domestically and internationally. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. There are a few things we can do to prepare our plants for cold weather, but maybe not extreme like we had last year. Please show me John Begno as we talk about preparing plants for winter. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Texas citrus industry is still recovering from the devastating effects of winter storm Uri back in February. According to the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, citrus trees are bouncing back, but fruit is sparse this season. Winter storm Uri damaged about 80% of the Texas orange crop and about 70% of the grapefruit crop. The good news is the majority of the grapefruit crop that matured in 2020 was already harvested by the time the winter storm arrived. But the storm still caused about $230 million in damages by killing trees and citrus blooms, which harmed subsequent fruit potential. Dr. Juan Enciso, Extension Horticulturalist, reports that citrus growers have been hard at work removing dead trees, salvaging, and caring for trees that survived the storm. He said, surprisingly, the trees did produce some fruit this year. Citrus trees bloom February through March, so the freeze came at a particularly difficult time for Texas citrus. Dr. Enciso said that growers face other difficulties this year, in addition to the loss of trees and fruit production. Higher input costs, like the rising cost of fertilizer and pesticides, are impacting growers' bottom lines. He said there is hope that Texas citrus will return to pre-storm levels, but it remains uncertain. He said it will be a while before we know how everything shakes out for the industry. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show gets underway this week. James Hunt tells us there's a jam-packed schedule. Thousands of visitors will make their way around the Amarillo Civic Center on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week for the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show. 
Of course, there will be hundreds of exhibits showcasing tractors and combines and all kinds of ag products and services, but there's also the educational events. In our previous report, we talked about the Big Texas A&M AgriLife CEU workshop on Tuesday, but looking ahead to Wednesday, there's two major events taking place in the Civic Center's Grand Plaza Room. The Texas Wheat Symposium at 10.30 a.m., followed immediately by the Ag Appreciation Luncheon. Darby Campsey of Texas Wheat Producers outlines the symposium lineup. We've got some updates from FSA and NRCS that will cover some deadlines that we've got, some of the new programs that have rolled out through USDA this year. Then we'll have a market update from Texas A&M AgriLife Extension from their economist, Dr. Mark Welch. So we'll be talking about prices and markets and different economic opportunities for producers. With government policy always important to ag producers, the symposium will also include a presentation on such issues by the Texas A&M Agricultural and Food Policy Center. And the luncheon has as its keynote speaker, David Wasserman, the senior editor for the Cook Political Report. He's an expert in redistricting, which is something that we're going through in Texas. So really looking forward to hear what he has to say. Both the symposium and the Ag Appreciation Luncheon are free admission. Get more information about all of this week's activities at AmarilloFarmShow.com. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Demand for corn is excellent right now, both here domestically and around the globe. Tom Nicoletti has that story. My guest today is Chris Edgington. He is president of the National Corn Growers Association. He uh, farms corn in northern Iowa. And uh, Chris, let's talk about the demand for corn and where uh, that product is going these days. Well, you know, Tom, the demand is great, both domestic and international. We've got really good ethanol demand. We've got domestic demand from the livestock industry, industrial uses. You know, we, we make 4,000 products out of corn, and so and we're growing that number. We do research into more products, but, but we've also got export customers, whether it's Mexico or Japan or Korea, China, Canada, that are demanding corn because they've got livestock that need to be fed. And so the demand for corn is good, and we continue to work for more opportunities in places like Colombia and Peru and, and Southeast Asia with Vietnam and, and all of their neighbors down there. Uh, it's, it's a great product. It can fit a lot of places, and, and the demand for corn is, is good. And contributing to uh, the U.S. corn production, of course, is Texas or in many regions in the state where farmers are growing corn. So uh, you put Texas in the mix along with the other uh, big corn producing states and uh, certainly uh, corn production is is at a, a good level in the U.S. It is at a good level. And yeah, the southern Texas guys, you'll be starting pretty soon down there. They get into in, shortly into the new year in January, February, and they're kind of the tip of the iceberg when it comes to corn planting in the U.S. They start first and, and the, the people in northern Minnesota and, and North Dakota kind of finish it up uh, as we get to the end as, as corn moves north uh, throughout the growing season. But southern Texas is always first. That is Chris Edgington. He is president of the National Corn Growers Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Meat processing facilities across the country will soon get funding to expand their capacity. Jessica Domel has the details. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack says his agency will invest $32 million in grants awarded to 167 meat and poultry slaughter and processing facilities to expand capacity and efficiency in the food supply chain. 
The funds went to smaller meat and poultry slaughtering and processor facilities and come through the Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program. Vilsack said the investments support local and regional meat and poultry processors as they recover from COVID-19 and work to expand their capacity. He said getting a federal grant of inspection or operating under a cooperative interstate shipment program allows meat and poultry processors to ship across state lines, pursue new market opportunities, and better meet demand across the supply chain. With these grants, meat and poultry processors can cover the costs for improvements like expanding existing facilities and modernizing their processing equipment. The opportunities will allow facilities to serve more customers in more markets. Of the $32 million in funded projects announced by Vilsack, about a million of that will be split between five projects here in Texas. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. This is the time of year to prepare your plants for cold winter weather. Horticulturalist John Begno has some tips from San Angelo. Well, you know, that big freeze we had last February that was hard to prepare for. And the fact that we've had late fall freezes this year, for the most part in most of Texas, means our plants have had time to condition themselves for the first freeze. And usually our first freeze is not something that's down in the teens or zeros through a, a central Texas or all the way cold to south Texas, for instance. We have conditioning cold weather. What you can do is remember that if you get surprised by an extreme cold spell, It's always good to make sure your plants are hydrated. That means turf grass is watered, shrubs have a drink if they haven't had a rain in the recent week or two. The exception to this seems to be palm trees. There's a lot of research that shows that if they're on the dry side, they can withstand cold weather a little better than on the wet side. We're constantly asked about covering plants during cold spells, and you'd hopefully chosen plants in your landscape that can withstand cold enough weather in your average climate and covering is not necessary. But if you have stepped out of bounds and you want to cover something, plastic is a bad choice. Material, cotton cloth or canvas, something like this to cover helps to insulate it. It keeps the ground a little warmer. That radiant heat also helps to uh, keep the plants warm. If you've planted some plants that might not have gotten established well during the summer, planted them late, for instance, like lantan and some of these other plants that can be sensitive to cold weather, it's not a bad idea to pile some mulch around them. Just cover that crown with six inches, eight inches of mulch, and you'll get a, a condition where it just prevents the crown from freezing. And they will come back from the crown in the spring of next year. Hibiscus, hardy hibiscus. There's a whole list of plants that it does not hurt to do this. You know, the National Weather Service is calling for a drier and warmer winter. But if you look at the Farmer's Almanac across Texas, it says that it's likely to have another really cold snap in January, February of 2022. And it's hard to prepare for that, but you can prepare for those moderate freezes right now. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. Some Texas hunters and anglers will be able to try digital licensing and tagging next year. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And our dogs can have the same problem I do. They can be too fat. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, 
finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you're taking your dog in for blood work, it's a good idea to fast them for several hours to eliminate fat in the blood. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. It is likely many of you have taken your dog to the vet for blood work and found out that the sample cannot be used because the blood is full of fat. Unfortunately, excess fat in the blood can have an effect on blood results, and the test may be inaccurate. I know as a pet owner, you don't want to take your pet to the veterinarian to undergo blood sampling any more than necessary, and it is extra trouble to bring your dog back to the vet later, but we do want accurate results. So anytime you expect blood work may be needed, fasting your pet for 12 hours is a good idea. You may not know if blood work may be recommended or not, so routine fasting should be considered. If your pet's blood has an increased amount of fat that can be seen in the serum, this is likely an increased amount of triglycerides, and in most dogs, triglycerides will decrease after a 12-hour fast. However, we have some dogs that even after a 12-hour fast still have too much fat in their blood, and we usually fast these dogs for 24 hours. If fat is still present in the blood after a 24-hour fast, we have to consider the reasons for this, as excessive fat in the blood can lead to vomiting, diarrhea, decreased appetite, pancreatitis, eye disease, skin disease, such as scratching, and even nervous system disease like seizures. If your pet has fasting increased amount of triglycerides in the blood, the first thing to consider is diseases that could be involved, such as pancreatitis, diabetes, Cushing's disease, or hypothyroidism. Also, certain medications like cortisone and some hormones can cause excessive fat in the blood. There are numerous treatments for increased fat in the blood, starting with a low-fat diet. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Some Texas hunters and anglers will be able to try digital licensing and tagging next year. Jessica Domel tells all about it in today's Wildlife Report. Next year, a group of Texas hunters and anglers will be the first to try out a program from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department that allows digital licensing and tagging. The goal of the pilot program is to determine if the public is interested in digital licensing and tagging and if it is a feasible concept. Robin Rikers, director of TPWD's Coastal Fisheries Division, says the pilot program is completely optional. The digital license will be available only on our TPWD website. And in the pilot program, we're going to focus on the super combination license, the senior super combo, and the lifetime super combo. Anglers in the pilot program who bag a red drum will need to report it through the My Texas Hunt Harvest app. 
and then it will upload upon network availability. Now for Red Drum, we will not have to place a physical tag on the Red Drum uh, because as we work with enforcement, the belief is that for fishing and with Red Drum, they typically, you're within uh, sight distance of your animal that you have and you would be tagging. Hunters who bag a deer or a wild turkey will also need to report that, but the tagging process is slightly different than if you catch a red drum. If confirmation is received, then all you have to do is legibly write out on a durable medium of some sort and attach that to the carcass, just the confirmation number. If for some reason we are out of Internet connectivity at that point in time, you would be asked to put a little more information on that hunter document with your first and last name, customer number of the license holder, and the date and time of harvest. And then, of course, it will upload upon network availability. The pilot program for those eligible will be in place for the 2023 licensing year. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was a mostly negative day in the markets on Monday. We kicked off the week with lower closes in livestock, cotton, and grains. We'll update all of Monday's market activity coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a mostly negative day in our agricultural markets to kick off the week on Monday. We did trade mixed with several contracts higher throughout the trading day, but come closing time, we finished in the red for just about everything. We'll start with the cattle complex, as we always do, a lower close for both live and feeder cattle on Monday. December live cattle down $1.17, $136.92. February down $1.90, $139.30. April live cattle down $1.32 at $142.50. 52. The feeder cattle market lower. January feeders down a dollar forty-two at one sixty-five seventy-two. March feeders down a dollar forty-two, one sixty-six fifty-five. April feeder cattle down a dollar thirty at one sixty-eight fifty-seven. Cash-fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. No sales to report. Show list this week look about steady here in Texas. A bit higher in Kansas. A bit lower in Nebraska and Colorado. Boxed beef was higher on Monday. Choice up 256 at 287.57. Select up 73, 263.01. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Here's a livestock market operator report because that's what we do here on the Walk in the Pens. Here's Gary Butler, last sale he had before the holiday. Gary, how did that thing turn out? Went pretty good, Larry. Uh, you know, uh, we, we were out a few buyers, but uh, we wind up with 629 uh, head, 81 cows and nine bulls. Got along real well on the cattle. Uh, didn't didn't have that many, so uh, it sort of helped. Two and three weight steers, a dollar twenty-two to a dollar seventy-one. Heifers, a dollar sixteen to a dollar thirty-two. Three and four weight steers, a dollar thirty-three to a dollar eighty-one. Heifers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar thirty-six. Four and five weight steers, a dollar thirty-three to a dollar sixty-five. Heifers, a dollar thirteen to a dollar sixty-eight. Five and six weight steers, a dollar twenty-three to a dollar fifty-seven. 
heifers a dollar fifteen to a dollar seventy eight. Six and seven weight steers dollar nine to a dollar forty four, and the heifers a dollar one to a dollar eighty. Seven eight weight steers bull yearlings a dollar eight to a dollar thirty seven, and the heifers were eighty eight to a dollar fifty eight. On the cow deal, we got sixty seven for the best cow. Uh, slaughter bulls seventy six to ninety nine. Uh, slaughter cows, stocker cows four hundred to eleven hundred, and we had a few pair, not very many uh, to pick from three fifty to eleven fifty. Larry. Now, what do we anticipate after we come back from Turkey Day? After Turkey Day, I'm sure we'll have a few more cattle than this. I'm, you know, I'm thinking around that nine to a thousand, and maybe, maybe more. I, I don't know if these cattle are all, all still out there or not, Larry. Uh, a lot of people are going to hold them over uh, till next year. I uh, know, know some people that are. And our last sale would be December the 13th, Larry. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Gary Butler. You can catch us here on sale. That's cell phone 830-582-1561 or 62. Catch me on my mobile, 830-857-4330, Larry. Maybe that's it for Walking the Pins. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back tomorrow with some new livestock market information. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs close lower. December hogs down 80 cents at 72.40. February down 10, 80.92. Class 3 milk was mixed. The nearby November up 7 cents, 18.02 a hundredweight. December milk down 18 at 18.14 a hundred. It was a mostly quiet, lackluster trade in the cotton market to kick off the week on Monday. Not much news to move this market either way, so we ended up closing with the nearby December up five points. 116.65, March cotton down 37 at 111.41. The grain markets close lower on Monday, both corn and wheat moving lower. Wheat kind of leading the way lower for all of the grains on Monday. It ended up putting pressure on the corn market. December corn down five and three quarters, 581 a bushel. March corn down nine and a half, 582 and a quarter. September corn down seven and a quarter, 565 a bushel. The wheat market lower once again on Monday. We've seen a lot of lost ground in this wheat market since we hit our highs back last Wednesday. We lost nearly 40 cents on the nearby Kansas City contract. We closed on Monday with July Kansas City down 11 and a quarter, 837 and a half. July Chicago wheat down 16 and a half at 817 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas down 61 cents, 486. January crude oil up $1.57 at 69.72 a barrel. The financial markets higher Monday, the Dow up 236 points, 35,135. The Nasdaq up 291 at 15,782. The S&P up 60 points at 4,655. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin, and I hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.